is not good for the technologically challenged, so I made it. Uh, okay, it's good to be with you all this morning. Um, that's a great hymn. It, it's, it's, uh, we're going to re- read today about a guy that struggled with that, and I think part of the reason that's in there is because we all struggle with that. And as we dig into the text, what he struggled with was not necessarily what you would expect. So we're going to read from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. And if you uh, don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in the pew in front of you you can take. And the Gospel of Luke is on page 855. The problem is in that Bible there is no page 855. There is an 854 but uh, it's because it's the beginning of the gospel. So, and if by chance someone's along the back and you notice that they don't have a Bible and maybe they would want or need a Bible, feel free to hand that person a Bible. They, they would benefit from that. Uh, my cousin's here today. I'm glad, I'm glad he's here. And I'm not going to point him out because that'd be too much fun and he'd be embarrassed. But uh, Patrick, I'm glad you're here. I'm real glad you're here. Okay, let's just go ahead and read these, this passage, this verses 5 through 25. And let's just go. It says this. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abiah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child And they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. And both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them, and he remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. 
After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. That is a wonderful passage, but I need to pray. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for the message and the hymns and the songs that we've sung that declare your faithfulness and that sing, we sing of your Savior, our Savior, your Son. And I just ask, Father, that you would be faithful to me now to speak through me to this people here, that we would all know you better and glorify you through your word. Bind your word, kind of like what Stephen said, not, not just to our minds, but to our hearts for your glory. I ask that with all my heart, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so for, the first thing we're going to do today is look at this couple, Zachariah and Elizabeth, and just kind of note some things about them. The first thing about them, as you read in the text, is they came from an honorable lineage. Zachariah was a priest, and it was a great honor to be a priest. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and she was from a priestly line as well. Elizabeth came from this fa uh, family of priests. And so when Zechariah married Elizabeth, that was as far as the priesthood could get. That was as good as it could get. They're a priestly couple through and through. The second thing about them that you'll notice is that they lived honorable lives before the Lord. The text says they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. That is not to say they are perfect. Ain't nobody perfect, okay? But for Zachariah and Elizabeth, the pattern of their lives was to honor God. And that's what we need to focus on. They were godly people. The pattern of their lives, the focus of their day was to honor God. And that's what the text is referring to. They're not perfect. But our lives should be to honor God. Um, I'll be honest with you, when I was studying this passage, I, it, it dawned on me that many years ago, I, I felt like, I feel like, I honored God better years ago. And what has happened to me, and I'm, I'm just telling you this to compare yourself, I, I know more about God and the Bible now than I did 20 years ago, but life has crept in. And I, I have more responsibility, I have a bigger position at work. I have more responsibilities. I have responsibilities here. And, and my buddy Kurt Tyre and I have discussed before that you can't let the Bible become your textbook. But the point is this, where, I'm asking you, where are you? Where is your walk with God? Do you honor God with your life? In all aspects of your life, that's just something to think about. It's so easy to get busy, isn't it, in this culture? And God falls farther, further and further and further behind from where he should be. Don't let that happen. Back to these, this couple here. They lived in a culture that dishonored them. They honored God. Their culture did not. And the reason was because they had no child. Because Elizabeth was barren. We in America now have no concept of what that really means. It's hard enough for couples now who can't conceive. But in those days, it was a massive stigma. It was, it was a statement that you were sinful. Barrenness was seen as a sign of sin in a couple's life. And these people were not sinful. God has told us that. But the culture looked at that, them that way. And so the questions would turn to, to, to whispers, which turned to accusations and assumptions, which became wrongful conclusions about their lives. Parents asking them, what's, what's going on? You guys know the scriptures. What's going on? 
You know, our, our friends are asking us what's going on. You know, Zacharias' dad takes him out in the backyard. He goes, Zach, what's happening? What's, talk to me. You, you, you know the Bible. You know that God will withhold children if they're sinned. Dad, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And there's this desperation that they would feel because the whole culture is coming in on them. You must be sinful. You must be sinful. You must be sinful. And they're not. So they, they had all these questions. They had all these accusations. And believe me, they had tears. Lots and lots of tears. It, it, was, it was so much more than just that you can't have children. Warren Wearsby said it like this. When you, read in the, when you read in the text that she had no child, they had no child, he put it like this. And this just kind of cut me to the core. They had no family. And I got thinking about years ago when all our kids were little and, and there was a, a friend of ours and his sister had not gotten married and all the discussions and all the chatter and everything is about these little kids. And she started talking about her career, which was not wrong, but I mean, she got done and, and the conversation ended in, instantly because everyone had little kids and she was shut out. I felt so sorry for her, but think about that times a thousand. Everyone has these kids and you don't and you go home and you know that and you live with that. That's what they're facing. That is exactly what they were facing. And again, I can talk about it, but, but none of us can really understand it because we didn't live that in that era. They had no family. Everybody else did. They did not. And then sort of the nail in the coffin that Luke gives us, and both were advanced in years. In other words, it ain't going to happen. It, it's, it's past the point. So that's Zachariah and Elizabeth. But as far as them being righteous before God, they, all this was taking place well after they had given up. The point, again, is this. They struggled, but they never sinned against God. They, they never sinned against God. God said they were righteous. That's the trick, isn't it? When you doubt God, when, when things don't look good, do we, do we doubt God? Do we doubt his goodness? A lot of people do. A lot of people do. If God is good, why did this happen? And we reach conclusions that maybe God isn't good after all. The blessing in the, in the, for us with this couple here is that they did not do that. And it's something we need to take to heart. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know why you would doubt God, doubt God today. But if you are, this is a couple that's an example. They stayed faithful to the Lord through the midst of their difficulties. Okay, so with that in mind, now I want to back up to the beginning because their circumstance was only part of the story here that Luke is telling. They matter, and they matter a lot, but the first line in verse 5 matters as well. So it says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, I'm going to switch gears on you, Major League, so you're going to have to fly through the centuries with me. In the sixth chapter of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah said, and compare this, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, Isaiah said, in the year that King Uzziah died. David Guzik is a pastor. He's out of California, and he's the founder of something called Enduring Word Ministries. I really like it. And he made the comment that when Isaiah wrote that he was called to be a prophet in the year King Uzziah died, he said a lot. 
It wasn't just saying, okay, this is a historical marker. This, now I can, go to, I can Google that and see when that was and get my date straight. No, it was a whole lot more. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this back to the book of 2 Chronicles. And you don't need to turn there. I put the verses on the screen, if God is good, and they will show up. And um, this is the story of one of Israel's kings, and his name was Uzziah. I really, really liked Uzziah. And it, it doesn't end well. And I don't read 2 Chronicles every day. But whenever I hear the story of Uzziah, I'm like, man, I don't want to read this because I know how it's going to end. And when I do it, it still ends the same way. I'm like, don't do what you're going to do. And he does it every time. It's disappointing. So anyway, this is it, from, starting with from verse 3. It says this in 2 Chronicles. Uzziah was 16 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. I'm 62 years old. He would have been my king since I was 10 years old. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, not our Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of the Lord. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians. And his fame spread even to the border of Egypt, for he became very strong. Moreover, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem, and he fortified them. And he built towers in the wilderness, and he cut out many cisterns, for he had large herds, and he had farmers and vine dressers in the hills and in the fertile lands, for he loved the soil. He was a good man. Moving on, moreover, Uzziah had an army of soldiers fit for war under the direction of Hananiah, one of the king's commanders. The whole number of the heads of the father's houses of mighty men of valor was 2,600, under their command was an army of 307,500 who could make war with mighty power to help the king against the enemy. And Uzziah prepared for all the army shields, spears, helmets, coats of mail. That's, it's, it was called chain mail. If you ever seen the, it's actually, you see the pictures of like King Arthur and those guys, and they would wear this. Looked like fabric, but it was metal. It was chain that was woven. It's called chain mail, and it was woven together. And so Uzziah had that for all his troops. He had bows and he had stones for slinging. In Jerusalem, he made machines invented by skillful men to be on the towers and on the corners, to shoot arrows and great stones. And his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. And this is where it starts to go south. In a hurry. You've heard this before. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. Ain't that the truth? You ever seen it in your life? Have you ever experienced it in your life? For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God, and he entered the temple of the Lord, to burn incense on the altar of incense. Now, I want to explain this. This next slide is a pretty good rendering of what was called Solomon's temple. It was actually God's temple, but King Solomon built it, and when Israel was honoring God, God said that he would inhabit this temple. The next thing, this is the inside of the temple. It looked something like this. As you can see, there was an area called the holy place, and that, and that guy in a nice purple outfit there was a priest. And he would go in there, and he would make atonement for the, for the people. And again, this was called the holy place. Now, beyond the holy place was the room where God's presence would actually be. And that room was called the Holy of Holies. 
And only the high priest of Israel could go in there and only once a year and he would make atonement for the people. God's presence was in there. And, and that's, you can see through there, but there was really a curtain, a great big curtain behind there. And only, again, the priest couldn't go in there, only the high priest could. What the priest would do is he would stay on this side and the thing right in front of the priest, and I hope that comes up, the altar of incense. And this is where Uzziah got in trouble. So please get this. This is where the priests would make sacrifices with, for sin. And they would do it in the morning, and they did it again in the evening. And they did a lot of other things, but for what we're looking at today, one priest would set coals on that altar, and another priest would set the incense, and then they would, they would back out of, of the, the holy place. And in would come another priest, and he would burn that incense. And he had something called a scepter. And when I was an altar boy in Catholic church as a little kid, you had this very fancy thing on a chain, and you would sit there, and it had a little puck in it, and it was a charcoal. And you would light that thing, right, Pat? And you would try to keep that thing burning. You'd get a lighter from what a priest was smoking and use his lighter and light that puck. And boy, you just made sure that thing stayed lit. And then at some point, you're waving this thing back and forth, and it was pretty cool. I mean, let's face it. But then the priest would come over with a little dish full of incense, and he would sprinkle that incense onto that that coal, that puck, and the smoke would come up. And it did smell good. Now, after 15 minutes, it wasn't so great, you know, because you're sitting there and you're like, man, when are they going to do this? And then you just, please keep smoking, please keep smoking, because it, if it went out, it was not a good thing. So anyway, that's, that's kind of what was going on here, except for there were no Catholics. Um, but anyway, they did this thing, and so they would, they would offer incense, okay? And, and God, that was a very... Um, a very sanctified moment. It, God, God refers to that incense in Psalm 141. David said, may my prayers be, become like incense before you. In the book of Revelation, they talk about golden bowls of incense, which is the prayers of the saints. And God said, it's a sweet aroma. Our prayers to God are a sweet aroma in his nostrils, he says. So a very, very honored position to be this priest that was able to do that. The problem was Uzziah decided he was going to do that. The priests were ordained by God to do it, not, not the king, not the king. But he was full of himself and he decides he's going to do it. Verse 17 says, but Azariah the priest went in after the king with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor. And they withstood King Uzziah, and they said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who were consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary, because you've done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense, and when he became angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests and the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. And this is one of these moments in time where the discussion suddenly stops. And, and if you're Uzziah and you're looking at all these guys and you're having it out and they stop talking and their eyes get this big and you know because you know God, this is it. And it was it. Leprosy was breaking out on his forehead and they saw it. This is awful. This is terrible. Verse 20, And Azariah the chief priest and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. 
And they rushed him out quickly, and he himself hurried to go out. You bet he did, because the Lord had struck him. This is a terrible ending for a great man. And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. And being a leper, he lived in a separate house, and he was excluded from the house of the Lord. And that is the end. What a terrible thing that happened. 52 years of blessing from God. He should have known. He should have known. How many times have you heard, pride kills. And it destroyed this man. It destroyed his, his whole history and everything. It was a horrible ending to a, a great king. But there was even more to the story. And the more to the story is a guy named Tiglath-Pileser. Tiglath-Pileser was one of the, one of the chain of... Uh, Syrian military guys, and it's all getting cranked up up there, and they start, start conquering everybody, and he was a, a bad dude. I almost, I almost said it was Bill Belichick, but I thought not everybody would know who Bill Belichick is, so um, ask your friends. Anyway, and so everybody in Israel, they got the Mediterranean here, and here's Israel, and he's up there, and, and he's moving this way, and everybody in Israel knows he's, he's, he's coming south. He's heading this way. And, and what they're all thinking was, he's coming this way. If only King Uzziah was here, he'd know what to do. He was smart and he was wise, and there's a big difference between the two. And God blessed him. And if, oh, just if he was here, but he's gone, and what are we going to do now? It was a bad situation. It was a very bad situation. The people were uneasy. They had gone from very secure to very worried. And it's in the midst of that situation that you read these words in the sixth chapter of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah writes, in the year that King Uzziah died. And if we hadn't studied all that, you'd, like I said, you'd go, okay, whatever, that was the year such and such. <laughs> there was a lot more going on. And so Uzziah, or excuse me, um, Isaiah, he writes in his, his prophecy, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. This was a vision of Jesus Christ, is what he was seeing. He said, and above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. So you need to go home and get your Christmas display out and add some more wings to the angels you got on your windows, right? All right, and one called to another, and he said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah said, The foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of this angel who called, and the house was filled with smoke. He has seen God. Tiglath Pleaser is not on his radar all of a sudden. And he says, Woe is me, for I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king, the real king, the Lord of hosts. And I heard, skipping down to verse 8, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And this man who has just seen the glory of God says, Me, I will go, send me. Everything changed when he saw the Lord. Tiglath Pileser was still there, and trouble was coming. But did it matter to him then? It didn't matter to him then. What matters is what he saw, is he, the fact that he saw God. 
I'm going to finish David Guzik's comment. He said, the prophet Isaiah had great reason to be discouraged and disillusioned at the death of King Uzziah because a great king had passed away and because his life ended tragically. Yet despite it all, he saw the enthroned Lord God who was greater than any earthly king. Amen? That's where his hope was, in, in, in God. Okay, so all that from in the year King Uzziah died. In Luke... Come back now. In Luke, we have in the days of Herod, king of Judea. A big story with that as well. Herod was an amazing builder, politician. Um, he ruled for 36 years. He, he did good things. You have to admit, he re rebuilt the temple that was in Jerusalem, and it was a sight to behold. He single-handedly built the city of Caesarea, he, he built it, but he also built pagan temples, and he also taught the people religious rites for those pagan temples. He was a very skilled leader. He kept the peace between Jerusalem and Rome, and that was a big deal, but he was paranoid beyond belief, and he was ruthless. Herod was the one who ordered the murder of the baby boys in Bethlehem because he thought, you know, his kingship was going to get stolen. He... he uh, he had 10 wives, and I think every one of those wives produced a son, and every one of them knows that I could be the king here. And so it was intrigue and all kinds of drama like you can't believe. He ended up executing three of his sons. <laughs> Caesar Augustus was Caesar at the time, and he, said, and he knew the Jews didn't eat pork, and he said it's better to be Herod's pig than his son. He, he executed, they said of all his wives, his, his favorite wife, he executed her. He was a ruthless, paranoid, evil man. And he was leading Israel at the time. So you think Isaiah saw things were bad. Things were very dark in Israel when this takes place in Luke chapter 1. The priesthood was corrupt by and large, which is another reason why God mentions the fact that Zechariah was not. Because most of the priesthood was corrupt. So it was, a, it was a terrible time. Just like, I mean, they didn't need a Tiglath-Pileser. They had Herod. So very dark days. When you look at Luke 1, when you look at this passage, you need to tell, think to yourself, these were dark days. This was a bad time to be in Israel. But in a somewhat similar fashion, God shows up and says, that's, that's not the issue. So... If, you're, if you want an outline, the, the first point today is that God is faithful to Zechariah. The verses in verse 8 said, and through 10, that while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was, was on duty, and I'll explain that, there were, there were 18,000 priests in Israel. And they were divided into 24, they called them courses, we call them divisions. And you pretty much served, he was probably from a, a, an area called Hebron, but he, you, and that's where you served for most of the year. But he would, they would go up twice a year to the temple in Jerusalem and serve there. But the rest of the time he was at home. So the verse here when it says um, when his division was on duty, it means that was one of the weeks when he went to Jerusalem. And it says, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to do what we saw in 2 Chronicles. He was chosen by lot to go into the temple and burn the incense. And as I said earlier, that was an amazing honor. That would only happen once in your life. And not all the guys, 18,000 guys, there's not many people got to do that. So, uh, so Zechariah was very honored to do that. 
And if you look at the text, it says, He was chosen by Lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And so when he did that, all the people outside would pray. It says the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. They knew it was going inside and their duty was to pray. So God is faithful to Zechariah. He honored Zechariah at the temple. If we read on, this is the moment where everything happens. There appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. So in that previous thing where the priest was standing there, he's standing here, the altar of incense which was three feet tall and like 18 inches square. He, he's standing there and, and there's an angel which doesn't happen every day. And, and the angel standing there, and so rightfully so, Zachariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said, what angels always tend to say, don't be afraid, Zachariah. And then he tells him this, your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. So God, God honored Zachariah at the temple by letting him offer incense. And he offered, he honored him by answering his prayer. Now, we're in Luke chapter one, obviously. This morning somebody came in here and turned on the lights and got the day going. And, and Chris started our day of worship. But the day began when somebody unlocked the door and came in. The old, in the third chapter of Genesis, which is the third chapter of the Bible, obviously. Mankind has fallen, and God introduces a Redeemer. That was thousands of years before this day here that we're looking at. Thousands of years of people waiting for the Messiah, and God saying, I'm going to send a Redeemer. I will send a Redeemer. I will send a Messiah. And they're waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And yes, when Jesus was born, that's, that's beginning the worship you know, uh, for the day. But when the angel shows up with Zechariah, that's the unlocking the door part. This is really the beginning of everything. This is where the Old Testament and the New Testament come together. This is, there's no, the prophetic clock has struck midnight and now it's going to happen. And Zechariah, who it was just a regular priest, he wasn't anybody special, he's the one who gets this message. The angel appeared to him and, and he said, Zechariah, don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife is going to have a baby and you're going to call him John. And you will have joy and you will have gladness. And many, many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord. And a godly man would have been rejoicing like crazy. It, when, my son is going to be great before the Lord. I know who God is. I honor God. God is everything. And you're saying that my son, who is a miracle child... Is not just going to be a child. He's going to be great before you. That, that would light your fire if you, if you knew who God was. When he says he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, not drinking, that was called the Nazarite vow. And, and as again, Zechariah would know that he's really set apart for God's service, completely. So he should be doing backsprings or something. He should be, you know, weeping for joy. He said, and then he, he cites something from the prophet Malachi. He says, your son will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And your son will go before the Messiah in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. 
In other words, his ministry will be effective. Not because he's a great speaker, it's because he's filled with the Holy Spirit. God is going to do something miraculous with your son, Zachariah. He's one in a billion. You should rejoice at this. And so God honors Zachariah with the announcement of John the Baptist. Point number two, Zechariah dishonors God. Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. In other words, I don't believe you. Flat out, I don't believe you. God sent an angel. He sent Gabriel. He's standing in the temple. His God's on the other side of this curtain. The, the holiness, the presence of God is on the other side of this curtain. God has made a way for Zechariah to offer incense with this great honor. And there's an angel. It doesn't get more direct than that. And Zechariah says, I don't believe you. He did not believe God despite God's angel. He did not believe God despite God's word. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And what's worse, I was sent here to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Isn't it interesting? I want you to think about this. Zachariah and Elizabeth honored God for decades with heartache. They trusted God. They trusted God. They trusted God despite this heartache that they lived with. I lost a good friend 30 years ago. It hurts just as much now as it did then. They couldn't have a child. I promise you it hurt just as much 30 years later as it did then. I promise you it did. He didn't believe God. Isn't it interesting, though, that what he, he could believe God within the confines of his picture of God... His faith would go that far. Get this. His faith would go that far. And God, when he didn't have a child, fit in Zechariah's window. Right? But when God went further, Zechariah didn't believe him. He, he, he responded negatively, negatively to God's promise. Now God says, I'm going to do this great thing, but it didn't fit. I don't believe it. And he didn't believe God. You ever done that? Do you trust God's word? Do you trust God's word? There's a guy named Tim that's in our congregation. And he, he's practically a modern day prophet. The guy walks, he walks a different road. But he honors God with his life. And a couple months ago, he was driving through Bargersville. I'm not going to embarrass him either. It'd be fun, but I'm not going to. Anyway, he's driving through Bargersville, praying for our church plant. That's pretty cool. Well, he was filled with the Spirit and he was speeding. And he got pulled over by a state trooper. All right. Eventually, in the conversation, the, the trooper says, what are you doing in Bargersville? What would you have said? Honestly, what would you have said? 
I don't know what I would have said. I don't know. I'm just driving. You know what Tim said? Well, we're planning a church here, and I'm driving through Vargasville praying over the city. I told that to somebody that, that Tim had done that, and the person said to me, oh, boy, I can, I can only imagine how that went over. Do you know what the trooper said to Tim? My wife and I have been out of church for a long time, and we're looking to get back in. He honored God in that moment. He was down there praying, and he, he didn't back off. And an opportunity opened up there. He honored God. He trusted God. Would you do the same? Would you do the same? Can you trust God in the midst of your doubts? Can you trust God to be God and not the God you have designed? You, you've heard me so many times just bang the drum, no Jesus, no Jesus. And I will always do that. You've got to know Jesus. He is your salvation. I did a funeral a couple weeks ago. And, and people have a tendency to say, well, mom's with dad again. Dad's with mom again. Uncle Lou and uncle, and, and you know, they're all together. No, 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 no. Heaven is Jesus Christ. Heaven is being in the presence of Jesus, the presence of God for eternity. That's heaven. Know Jesus, folks. Know him. Study the Bible. Pray. Learn the Bible. Drink it in. You got to know Jesus. Okay, mini sermon over. Let's get back. But it's, I'm, I'm, I'm dead serious. Know Jesus. Devote your life to knowing God, folks. You will never be let down by God, ever. Okay, back to our text. Zechariah has doubted God. And so he says to the angel, I'm an old man. And the angel says, I'm Gabriel. I trump you. I stand in the presence of God. And again, what's worse, I was sent here today to speak to you with this good news. And you rejected it. And so, Zechariah, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things I have described take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. It doesn't matter what you think, Zechariah. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what any of us think about God. God's plan will not be thwarted. Zechariah couldn't stop that from happening. So now we get to the in the meantime part of the story. The people were waiting for Zechariah because he should have been in and out. And he's still in there. Well, what's going on? What's happened? The, the, the backstory here is that God had not spoken to the Israelites in 400 years. 400 years ago was basically Plymouth Rock. That was a long time ago. All right, 400 years that God had not spoken. They had not heard from, from God at all. And the last time they heard from it was Malachi. And he was ripping into the priest pretty good. And in fact, in, in Malachi, God was so upset with the priest. He was ready to get rid of all of them. And I, just, I saw this last night. You don't need to turn here. In chapter 3 of Malachi, this is a great thing. God doesn't change. 
He does not change. And, and, and God says, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, you Israelites, are not consumed. I'm going to say that in, in our English. Okay, he says, you guys are, dis, are dishonoring me in everything you do. And for your sake, I don't change. And it's a good thing because that's the only thing keeping you alive right now. I, I made a vow that I would, I would honor the, my people, that you would be my chosen people. And, and I, won't, I won't disavow myself. I won't, I won't change what I've said. Why that's good for us is because Jesus said, if you submit to him, if you make him the Lord of your life, you are saved. If you live for God, if, if Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life, he said, I, no one's going to get you out of my hand. Nobody is going to get you out of my hand. That's a wonderful promise. He does not change. That will never change. Okay, when Zechariah comes out now, he, he has been made mute, right? He says he came out and he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and he remained mute. If you look farther, further into Luke, he couldn't hear either. So, because they were making signs to him. In any case, God's word was communicated that John the Baptist would be born. And Zechariah actually was the one who said that. When, when John was born, Zechariah said, he, he made motions and he said, and when he wanted to praise God, his, his voice came back. He said, his name's going to be John. And as soon as he wrote that down, his voice came and he begins praising the Lord and someone else will cover that in weeks to come. But um, for now, he's mute, all right? And the story kind of stops there. He was mute. So look at verse 23. When his time of service in the temple in Jerusalem that week had ended, he went home. That means he kept serving until his week was up. I can't imagine what he was thinking. But he went home. After these days, his wife, Elizabeth, conceived. And that's the miracle child. The last point today is that God is faithful, but God is faithful to himself. We are the benefactors of that, but God is faithful to himself. God hears our prayers. God answers our prayers. Maybe not in the way we wish, but God answers our prayers for our good and his glory. God forgives our unbelief. I'm so thankful for that. That God is a forgiving, loving, merciful God. And God keeps his promises. He promised there would be a redeemer. He promised in Malachi there would be a messenger who would go before his redeemer. And this is what's happening right before their eyes. God, God does not change. He's called, if you want the theological term, is he's immutable. If you think of the word commute, commute means you move. Immute means you, you, you don't. God does not change. He doesn't move. He is always going to be God. He never changes. And finally, verse 25. This is just sweet. 
Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me, she said, to take away my reproach among people. Reproach means shame. And God took that away. What's interesting, and again, this is for later, but when, when um, Elizabeth meets Mary, she says to Mary, oh, I see Gabriel visited you too. And I don't think she was looking at Zachariah when she said this, but she's, well, let's just say she was. Mary's here and Zachariah's here. And she says, wow, Gabriel visited you and you're going to bear the Messiah. Blessed is someone who hears the word of the Lord and believes it. I don't know. I haven't seen the film, but I'm married, so I hope she did. Anyway, that's a sweet ending to this passage. That God took away this woman's reproach. All right. The last thing is Jesus took away our reproach on the cross. Our shame before God. He took away our sin. Did you know that Jesus is perfectly righteous and that when you take him as your savior, you basically are, are clothed in his righteousness. So God the Father sees the perfect righteousness of his son. Do you remember in the, in the, in the, um, the parable of the prodigal son and, and when the father, who in the parable is Jesus, sees his son and he gets up and he runs and he runs and, and he embraces his son, you know, and, and the, the son is going to start his speech. They're like, I, I'm not worthy. And, and the father's like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and he starts saying, he goes, get, get, get him some shoes, put a ring on his hand. And he goes, and get the best robe. In the culture, the best robe belonged to the father. In the parable... The Father is Jesus, and so get my robe of righteousness and wrap it around my son. That's a beautiful picture. Jesus took our shame on himself so we could be saved. I'll, I'll end with this. John the Baptist is born, and things are good. Right, he's the messenger. Keep one thing in mind, it didn't end well for him. If you're gonna be mighty before the Lord, the world will hate you a lot. God is faithful, you be faithful to God. Easy for me to say, I'm the weakest guy here. But honor God with your life. Honor God with your life. Let me close with this. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, a Savior. Jesus is mighty to save. 
If you don't know him as your savior, if you know that he is not your Lord, if you know in your heart this morning that he is not the Lord of your life, ask him to be that. Give your life to Jesus Christ and live with him for eternity. Let's pray, folks. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for this story of this couple. I thank you that mighty, faithful men who are, are weak at times and fail, that you don't judge, you discipline, and you teach, and you love, and you never forsake. The only person you ever forsook was your own son so that we could live with him that he would bear our reproach. We sit here this morning and my prayer is that everyone's hearts are so thankful for Jesus. I am. And we thank you in his name. Amen.